I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is John Forsyth, the vicar at St. Jude, and it is uh, a great privilege to welcome you if you are new or visiting us this morning, be that here in person or online. We are delighted that you can be with us, and we really hope that you feel welcomed and part of our community. Uh, we are looking through this wonderful letter that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. Uh, and last week, sadly, we were in that uh, short, horrible lockdown, but the positive was we heard an outstanding sermon uh, from Alex on Ephesians 2, which brought out the wonderful grace of the gospel. Uh, and I encourage you, if you haven't heard it already, to go and have a look. Uh, and I spoke to someone this morning and said, you know, how are you going? What can, I, what, what, what can we do with church this morning? I said, John, if, if we could have a cracker sermon, that would be great. Uh, that was said to me at seven minutes to ten. Uh, well, I can't necessarily promise that. But what I can promise is that we have a cracker passage. Uh, far more important is that uh, God's word uh, is an absolute crackerjack, and particularly chapter 3 of Ephesians. So I'll, I'll put aside whether this sermon is uh, a cracking one, but we certainly do have an astonishing chapter to look at this morning. And what happens in chapter 3 is uh, Paul continues his conversation with this church in Ephesus, and he outlines some of the astonishing consequences of that gospel that he's outlined in chapter 2. This great news that Christ has come and died for God's church, for God's people, 
for us. And we see this, this horizontal and vertical reconciliation. We are reconciled with God and we also reconcile with each other. The barrier between us and God is broken and the barrier between Jew and Gentile is broken. A two-stranded picture of God's grace. And what I'd also like to do this morning is, for those of you who are visual learners, because I realise preaching is often uh, primarily an auditory thing, I'm going to use our magnificent building here as some prompts for you, some visual clues to what Paul reminds us of in this chapter. Uh, And I have three points you'll be pleased to know. Firstly, we see, when particularly reading from verse 7 onwards, that God's church proclaims God's gospel. God's church proclaims God's gospel. Like Paul, as a church, we, we have this commission, this call to tell other people about the great news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have a look at, at verses 7 and 8. And in those verses, Paul is given both an identity and he is given a mission. And his identity is in verse 7. He says, I became a servant of this gospel. It's something he received, but it's also something that he serves. He says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. And his mission in verse 8 is empowered by that same gift. He says, although I am the least of the Lord's people, there you go, each and every one of you is more than the Apostle Paul. Well, if there's nothing else to walk home with today from church, there's something encouraging. I'm a terrible Christian, but the good news is, at least I'm better than the Apostle Paul. But why does he say that? Well, once again, notice it's because he has received grace. This grace was given to me to do what? To preach. To proclaim literally the good news to the Gentiles, the boundless riches of Christ. The boundless riches of Christ. Of Christ. Friends, that is such an extraordinary phrase, and it is tempting to just do the sermon on that one sentence the boundless riches of Christ. And what Paul is doing is he's taking us back to chapter 2, 2 verse 6, where he says, And God raised us up with Christ. And seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming age he might show the uh, incomparable riches of his grace, expressed to his kindness uh, through his kindness in Christ Jesus. See what Paul is saying? He's saying, look, that gospel that we receive, that good news, it's the most precious gift you could receive it's the most precious thing there is it's the most precious thing that we have you were dead says Paul separated from Christ alienated from God's people 
strangers to the covenants of promise with no hope without God in the world. But now, through the death and resurrection of Christ, you've been brought near. You are alive. You are forgiven. You are a family. And this is the most precious treasure there is. This is the boundless riches of Christ. Literally, the unsearchable riches. The inscrutable riches of Christ. You can scrute them all you want and you will not get to the end. Screwed away. That is how vast and deep these riches are. That is how valuable and precious they are. So why does Paul want want to remind us of this? Well, I think for a couple of reasons. Firstly, because the riches of Christ are boundless, beyond comprehension, beyond measurement, it means whatever you and I have done, however you and I have messed up, however much we have sinned or fallen short or failed, the Lord Jesus is always there. The depths of his mercy and of his grace and of his forgiveness never run out. The boundless riches of Christ. Your sin versus his grace, no contest. The boundless riches of Christ. And secondly, I think he uses that phrase because too often we think other things are the boundless riches that we should base our life on. The world is full of shiny things that say, this is the thing that works, that will make your life right, that will fix your deepest problem. And Paul says, look, those things might be good, but they are not the boundless riches of Christ. And notice too that Paul says, look, this gospel is so precious that we actually can't help but tell other people about it. It's exciting. It's it's transformative. And it's not just Paul's mission. It's the mission of the church. It's the mission, in fact, the Lord Jesus has called his church to from the beginning. We are a church saved by grace, and therefore we are a church that proclaims God's grace. That's our identity and that's our mission. Saved by grace, are people called to God? Saved by grace to proclaim that message to God's world. To preach to the Gentiles, the nations of the world, the boundless riches of Christ. Now, one of the things I absolutely love about our building here in Carlton is the amount of glass that is at the front. And that glass, what it does is it connects us with our communities around us. It says, come and look and see what we are doing. Come and look and be part of our community. Come and look and hear about the boundless riches 
of Christ. And when you preach or when you lead or when you pray or when you read the word of God from here, what do you look at but you look straight out that door and you look beyond our church into our community. It's a visual reminder for you visual learners that as a church we are called to share the gospel, the boundless riches of Christ. And what do we see when we look through those glass windows and doors? Well, we see a a community that has a lot of students. In fact, the average age for Carlton and the inner north is 24. Makes me feel old. Uh, Versus the average of about 37 in Victoria. We have lots of university-educated professionals. We have well above the national average of hipsters per square kilometre. We have alleyways upon alleyways full of coffee. But here's some more interesting things. Less than 50% of people in Carlton and the inner north are actually born in Australia. And 80% have at least one parent who was born overseas. And we tend to think historically that this area is one where we had Italian and Greek migrants, which is true, but now it's primarily from Southeast Asia. 20% are born in China. Increasing numbers from Malaysia, Indonesia, India, India, Singapore. And in fact, the number one language in Carlton is not English, it is not Italian, it is Mandarin. Can you see how this gives us new opportunities to preach the boundless riches of Christ to the nations? Guess what? We don't have to go anywhere. It's home delivery. It's the Uber Eats of gospel ministry. We proclaim the boundless riches of Christ in a way that makes sense to all these different communities in our area or as Paul says in verse 9, to make it plain to everyone. And what that means is that we as a church need to not make the truths of the gospel of Jesus easier to believe, that's syncretism, that's distorting the riches, but rather to make the truths about the gospel of the Lord Jesus easier to understand. That's contextualizing. That is making it clear. So when you walk through those glass doors or when you walk out of those glass doors, may it prompt you to be reminded of this great mission to preach the boundless riches of Christ, to make the gospel clear There's been lots of discussion about news being banned. This news, friends, is not banned. You can actually post it on Facebook. It's all good. But let's go beyond that. God's church proclaims his gospel, the boundless riches of Christ. Secondly, Paul reminds us that God's church displays or manifests his wisdom. And we see that in verses 10 to 13. Now, one of the most important appliances in my house is my fridge. 
Uh, and it's important, of course, for a number of reasons. Uh, there's the obvious one. It keeps my food and drink uh, cold and not, uh, me not dying of a bacterial infection, all good. Uh, it also stores my takeaway menus for those times when there's nothing actually in the fridge. Uh, it's also very good at collecting dust and lost coins underneath it. It serves a multitude of purposes. But actually, my fridge also manifests, displays wisdom. And possibly your fridge does too. Well, how does that work? Well, my fridge manifests the wisdom because when someone comes home from school or work and they've won an award or done a particularly good artwork, what do we do with it? We stick it on the fridge. Behold the manifest wisdom of this child who participated in an award. Didn't even win it, just participation these days. That's, that's all you need to do. Just tur they turned up. Behold. Look at this astonishing artwork. Behold the magnificent. Feast upon their magnificence. It displays to people who come to our house things that we think are worth showing off. See, here's the astonishing truth that we see in these verses. God seeks to display his wisdom through us. Through us. His church. Which seems a little counterintuitive when you think of most churches. I'm not passing judgment, I'm just making, being realistic. Let alone the ministers of those churches. But have a look, it's right there. Look at verse 10. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, uh, heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. What an extraordinary sentence. And, and I think that, that key word manifold is really important to, uh, to kind of understand a little bit. In the original language, it actually means many colored. It was a word that was used to describe flowers and, and crowns and embroidered cloths and carpets. Variegated, colorful, beautiful, diverse. It's a spiritual declaration that we as a church are manifold, are many colored. And that is what God's church is. It is a church filled with people from different backgrounds, with different ages and different cultures and different languages and different genders and different abilities. And Paul's saying, look, none of these things make anyone more or less important. We all approach God exactly the same way. We approach the throne of God with freedom and confidence only by the grace of the Lord Jesus. We are all God's people gathered to worship him. And notice, too, who the audience 
those who are, who are watching it and seeing this magnificent uh, wisdom of God are. See, as we've been doing live streaming, we've, we intended it to be a, a display, a, a, a way of engaging, a way of communicating church and being together through our regular St. Jude's people, which is primarily across Melbourne. But we've noticed we, we've gone beyond that unintentionally. We've, we've picked up people who've been interstate and even a couple of people who've been overseas. In Norway, we've had people join our church. But the audience for God's wisdom, notice it is cosmic. See, God's wisdom is made known not just at a local or even a global level, but importantly at a cosmic level. It says, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities, where? In the heavenly realms. In the heavenly realms. Now that's a rather strange phrase, isn't it? In the heavenly. What does Paul mean? Well, he's mentioned a bit about that early on in chapter 1, but particularly when we get to chapter 6, verse 12, we see that though rulers and authorities of the heavenly realms are the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms that oppose God. And so when we show the wisdom of God, what we are doing is showing them that God's church is working. That the death of Christ was not in vain, that it has reconciled us to God. That it has broken down the walls of hostility between Jew and Gentile and other nations. That it has produced one new body and given us hope. And so we display the wisdom of God to the cosmic powers by living this out. By being the church that Christ died to create. You see, the church is the flag of victory planted on the field of battle. It declares that God, in his wisdom and in his grace, has won. He has defeated sin and death and evil. In other words, we are not just called to be the light of the world, but astonishingly, the church is called to be the light of the cosmos. Friends, church can't be boring if that's real. When we gather here this morning, we are through the power of God, our light proclaiming God's victory to the cosmos. That is extraordinary. Now, one of the uh, wonderful and striking aspects of our building here at St. Jude's are the many colours on the walls. And I've discovered, since I've come here, there are manifold opinions on such colours. But whatever your opinion are on these colours, what I would like you to do is, when you see these colours, these manifold colours, remember this verse. So we've got the first part, when you come through the glass, we're to preach the gospel. And the thing that when we come in here... We are to make known the wisdom of God, the manifold, many-coloured wisdom of God. 
that it is known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Because, friends, we are a manifold church, multi-coloured, multi-ethnic, multi-aged, multi-gender, multi you name that, it doesn't matter, we are unified in Christ. And so we display that manifold wisdom. Well, thirdly, Paul reminds us here that God's church is grounded in God's love. This is in verses 14 to 19. And we see this really evident in the way that Paul prays for this church in Ephesus. And the reason why his kind of purpose for praying is actually in the previous verse, in verse 13. He's praying that the Ephesian church won't be discouraged or in despair by Paul's suffering. Or I love what the King James Version says, that they will not faint due to these, uh, these troubles that Paul is going through. And what Paul says, look, in response to that challenge, he wants the church, he prays that the church will be grounded, rooted, find its stability in the love of Christ. And firstly, notice that, that being grounded in the love of Christ strengthens our inner being. He says in verse 16, I pray out of the glorious riches, I mean, we've heard that phrase before, haven't we? The glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. In your inner being. See, the church is discouraged by something external, something that is happening outside, Paul's suffering and affliction. But interestingly, Paul doesn't pray for the external thing to go away. He doesn't pray, look, I know you're worried about my suffering, so let me pray that my sufferings pass. And that way you will be encouraged. No, Paul instead prays that they will find inner strength in spite of suffering in the love of Christ. And what Paul is doing here is so helpful because he's reminding us that far too often we look at the circumstances of our lives to determine whether Christ loves us. We look to the external circumstances of our lives to find meaning or purpose, to, to kind of find out what there really is. Now, all my problems would be solved if my circumstances were solved, if I got that job or if my health was fixed up. But what Paul reminds us here is that the key thing to prayer in difficult times is not necessarily the circumstances, although it is good to pray for them too, but crucially that God will strengthen your inner being by his love. The best way to face those external challenges is to be rooted in Christ's love. It's just like a tree. A tree that survives a storm is one whose roots are deep in the soil. As much as a tree would like storms not to come, storms come. As much as we would love to live lives without suffering and without challenges, 
they come. And they often come unannounced. And we haven't got time to to put our roots in. It's too late. Paul wants them to put their roots into the love of Christ. So that Christ, he says, may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, when when the Bible speaks of our hearts, we often think of feelings because that's the way we often use hearts. I love you with all my heart. It's a sort of the seat of emotion. But, But in the Bible, what the heart is, it's your true self. It's who you really are at your core being. And he's saying, at your core being, you should find Christ. At the center of who you are, you should pray that you are clinging to Christ. So Paul prays for this this wonderful church. Yes, times may be tough, but Christ has you. You are grounded in his love. No circumstance can change that. And so find strength in that. When I was at Bible college, we had the great privilege of meeting some uh, Christians from China who had suffered quite severe persecution. And they shared with us some quite extraordinary stories. And at the end, uh, the person leading the discussion said, well, obviously we need to pray. Um, Would you like us to pray against this persecution? And then he said the most, he he said, no, of course not. No, no, pray that we are strengthened to withstand it and proclaim the gospel. Don't worry about the persecution. This has given us so many opportunities for the gospel. Pray that we are strengthened by God's love. That was the outcome. I was just flabbergasted. It's the same prayer that Paul makes here. To notice as we go through this prayer, Paul uses the word may a lot. You may not have picked that up, but he does. He prays in verse 16 that may he strengthen you with power, in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts, and 18, may have power, in verse 19, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of Christ. He seemed to be seeking that you will pray in order that you would have these things. But in a way, don't we already have these things? Doesn't the Ephesian church already have these things? Doesn't Christ already dwell in our hearts? Don't we already have the Holy Spirit? And the answer is, of course, yes, we do. So what is Paul doing when he puts that word may in front of all those sentences? Well, Paul is is, is praying here, look, yes, you already have these things, But may you experience the reality that already exists. That is, may you grasp hold of it more. It's a bit like a child growing up. A little baby has absolutely no comprehension of just how much her parents love her. Does that mean her parents' love is not real? Far from it. Is it it evident to other people? Absolutely. But as the child grows, they learn to experience and understand at a deeper level just how much their parents love them. And often I think when you become a parent, you then realise even more. You think, oh my goodness, my parents put up with all of this for me. But I was perfect. But even so, they put up with all this for me. 
And that's what that Paul is saying here. It's going from that epistemological knowledge. Look, I know it kind of theoretically, but I want you to know it experientially to, to be grounded in the reality of your life. Because you can know that humanity is sinful, but that's very different to having the Holy Spirit convict you deeply of your own sinfulness. You can theoretically know that God loves us and gives us grace, but it is very different to being convicted of God's love and grace. And the joy and contentment and thankfulness that follows. That is what Paul is encouraging here. Not just to know it in our head, but to live it out. Look how, look how overwhelming Christ's love is in this prayer. He prays that they are rooted and established in this love. That they have the power together with all the, Lord, uh, the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide it is and how long it is and how high it is and how deep it is and to know that this love surpasses knowledge. That's a lot of love going on there in those verses. This love that surpasses knowledge. What does he mean by that? Does he mean we can throw our brains out? No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, look, if you want to know how to deal with a besetting sin in your life, you meditate on the love of Christ. You look at what it costs. You go to the cross. If you want to become more passionate about evangelism, if you want to know how to do that, you meditate on the love of Christ. His love for this world. If you want to know how to be less selfish and become better at loving others, what do you do? You meditate on the love of Christ. You see his selfless love towards you. And it inspires you to do the same. If you want to know how to be more generous with your time and your money, guess what you do? You meditate on the love of Christ. His extraordinary generosity softens your heart. If you want to be less anxious about your health or your job or your family... What do I need to know? Well, you meditate on the love of Christ. Come what may, his love for you is unbreakable. In a world of uncertainty, it is the one thing that is certain. That's why Paul says that this love surpasses knowledge. Because Christ's love for you is love in every direction. It is wide. It is for all people from everywhere. It is long. It is unending. It is never forsaking. It is unbreakable. It is deep. Christ did not just become human, but faced death. The depths of God's judgment for you. That is the depths of Christ's love. 
and it is high. You are raised up with Christ as people of the risen King and seated with him. Friends, this is the love that compels us to tell other people about Jesus. And this is the love that makes manifest the glorious wisdom of God through his church. Let me pray. Our gracious Father, to you who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to your power that is at work within us, to you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.